is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, everyone. If we haven't met, my name is Richard, and I know that I might look quite young on the outside, but I'm going to tell my age a little bit here by recalling a TV commercial that was in the 1990s by the Traffic Accident Authority Commission of Victoria. And in this TV ad, um, uh, a young couple is driving overnight to a destination, and they're driving a combi van, and we see inside the van in the middle of the night, he's been driving um, throughout the night, and he's getting tired. And he turns up the music, but then, you know, his girlfriend kind of says, no, no, turn that off, and she's trying to sleep. And so he nags her and says, oh, look, can you, can you, can you talk with me? And he says, look, you know, if you're tired, just pull over. But being an Aussie guy, he's not going to pull over, is he? He keeps on driving. And then the scene turns to daybreak. And you see the van going down this serene country road. It's all quiet. But then we, we get a view of inside the cabin and his eyes are just about to close. He's so sleep deprived. And then we see the, the van swerving across the median lane and then going uh, back into his lane. And in the distance we see this semi-trailer coming. And then he, the semi-trailer flashes its lights at the van. And, and as the van and the semi-trailer, they, they reach each other from opposite directions... You get, it looks like they're going to pass safely. But then all of a sudden, the van veers to the right, smashes right into the side of the semi-trailer. It's a shocking ad. And it's meant to shock you. It's meant to give you a warning. It's meant to tell you that driver fatigue is serious. You know? Stop, revive, survive. If you're old enough, you're, you're, <laughs> that would have been drilled into you. And the thing is, I, I saw that ad many times, and the many like it. They do, did, did a series of those. But I, found my, but I didn't listen to the warning sometimes. I've driven long distances, and sometimes I've been you know, falling asleep at the wheel, but I didn't stop. I was foolish. I was stupid. Sometimes I had my family in the vehicle. And I shudder to think, if we did have a serious accident, what would my life be like now? When we're giving warnings, serious warnings, we do have to listen to the warnings. We're stupid not to listen to, to warnings. And we have warnings in this story this morning, serious warnings. And the question is, are we going to listen to these warnings or are we going to ignore them? And there are three great dangers that we have from this story. The great danger of seeing Jesus as a good teacher. The great danger in being a good person. And the great danger in being rich. I'm going to ask God to help us to hear those warnings now and to respond to them, so let's, let's pray. Almighty God, please help us to hear your warnings and to heed them and to see the danger that we are in. Help us to respond appropriately because our eternities are at stake. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week we began a new series, uh, Jesus' Top Questions, and last week the question was, Jesus asked, who do you say I am? And the disciples said, you are the Christ. You are the king, God's king. And today we're looking at Jesus' question, why do you call me good? And what Jesus says is so unexpected and so opposite to what people were thinking of that day. That this question and the, Jesus' answers and what he says should leave us 
profoundly disturbed. And if we are not disturbed, then we're not hearing Jesus. We're not hearing what he has to say. If you feel comfortable after hearing this, then you haven't heard Jesus. Well, this story starts off in a surprising manner. We see a man running towards Jesus and kneeling uh, before him. In that culture, it's the Middle East, it's hot. Uh, it's rare to see someone running because you'd get sweaty, you'd get smelly, you'd get dirty. And what's more surprising is that when your disciples saw the clothes that this man was wearing, it's obvious that this guy is rich. And so it's doubly surprising that why would uh, this man be running? And from the accounts in Luke of, of this story and in, in the account of Matthew, we learned that he is young and he's actually a ruler. So why would a young, rich, powerful person be running and kneeling before Jesus? We see that it's because he, uh, there's one thing that his money and his wealth and his power couldn't give him, and that's the assurance of eternal life. And we see that in, verse, in his question in verse 17. With reverence, he calls Jesus. Have a look there in your Bibles. Good teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the assumption from his question is that there's something that he could do to gain eternal life. From what he has heard or what he has seen of Jesus, you know, Jesus taught with authority, not like the other teachers. He did miracles. If there was anyone in the world who could answer his question of how do I get eternal life, it would be Jesus. And so we come to the first of the three great dangers, the great danger in seeing Jesus as a good teacher. Now, most of this world, most of us, we don't have a problem with seeing Jesus as a good teacher. Muslims, uh, they, re they revere Jesus as a good teacher, as a prophet. But the danger is seeing, in seeing Jesus as a good teacher is that we think that that is enough. But Jesus here is not willing to accept your reverence just as a good teacher. Have a look at it again in verse 18. Why do you call me good? Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. Now we have to be clear, Jesus is not denying here that he's good. But he is questioning this rich man's assumption that any person can be truly good. Jesus emphatically states, no one is good except God alone. Because you see, Jesus claimed to be more than a great teacher. Jesus claimed to be God. The Jewish leaders of that time understood his claims and they rejected that claim, and that's why they wanted to kill him. Now, if Jesus claimed to be God, and he isn't God, then there are only two possible options. Either Jesus was a liar, he knew that he wasn't God, and he lied, or he's a lunatic. He was deranged. He thought that he was God when he wasn't. And so... We are left, either Jesus is God or he's a liar or a lunatic. There are no other options. Jesus doesn't leave you the option of him being a good teacher. Because if he's a good teacher and he's not God and he's a liar or a lunatic, then he can't be a good teacher. So let me ask you, where are you in your thinking about Jesus? Do you, do you think that Jesus is a good teacher? Do you accept his teachings? You're willing to learn from his teachings, follow, follow his example, but you're not willing to accept that he is God. 
and the demands on your life, then this is a warning for you today. Your life is in danger. You're in danger of missing out on eternal life. Not only is there a great danger in seeing Jesus just as a good teacher, there's a great danger in being a good person. We see this in verse 19 and 20. Here Jesus directs the rich man to the second part of the Ten Commandments, which we heard. And this part deals with how we treat other people. Verse 19, you know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honour your father and mother. Now what he's telling about uh, what Jesus says here is that he doesn't include the first four commandments of the Ten Commandments. The commandments that deal with how uh, how you're to treat God. And also, uh, if you notice, the last commandment, he changes. The last commandment is not to cover. Do not cover your neighbor's wife, his possessions, land, the slaves. He changes that to do not, do not defraud, do not cheat. Because obviously it's much easier not to defraud than to covet than to desire things that you don't have. And so with a clear conscience and possibly with relief, The rich man responds, declares in verse 20, Teacher, all these I have kept since I was a boy. And the disciples, after hearing this man's uh, declaration, undoubtedly they would have been impressed by this man's piety. In their minds, this man lacked nothing. Surely if anyone was going to inherit eternal life, it would be this man. Because the Jews of that time believed that righteousness, a righteous life was rewarded by long life and by riches. They had the examples of their forefather Abraham and of Job. Although their lives were severely tested, they remained faithful to God and God rewarded them with long life and with riches. So in their eyes, this man's great wealth was a sign of God's blessing. God's blessing because this man lived a good life, and he obeyed God's commandments. And Jesus can see the earnestness of this man's uh, obedience, this man's earnestness in, in seeking eternal life. And so in verse 20, Jesus looked at him and loved him. But instead of hearing what, what everyone, what the disciples would have expected to hear, the disciples expected to hear, well done. Keep on going this way. You will inherit eternal life. Keep it up. But instead of hearing words like that, what do we see Jesus tell this man? Lovingly, in verse 21, one thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. There would have been an audible gasp from the disciples. What? Jesus? Really? Sell everything? And we see the reaction of the man in verse 22. His face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. This is the only man in the whole of the New Testament who comes and meets Jesus. And he goes away sad. Because for this man, his wealth, we see, was more important than gaining eternal life. He was trapped by his wealth. 
The man thought, like many of us, that maybe there's a chance that if we obey the commandments, maybe we, we can help in our salvation just a little bit even. But Jesus says, no. He tells him the hard and unpalatable truth, that he is mistaken. There is nothing we can do to earn our salvation. So the great danger of a good person is that they will trust in their good works. They think they can help in their salvation, even a little bit. We, can, we think that we can be saved through our own efforts, but it is impossible, Jesus says. And this is a warning to good Christians. Those of us who come to church each week, who read our Bibles, who, uh, who pray, these are good things. But we can allow these good things and we can trust in them, thinking that that is what God wants and it makes God happy, that we'll earn our salvation. But no, it's a trap. We can't rely on these good things. It gives you a false sense of security. Colin Powell, he was previously the US Secretary of State, and he tells his story in, he gives this incident in his autobiography, A Soldier's Way. Yeah, um, Colin Powell used to be in the, in the US Army, and he's on an aircraft with a, a group of soldiers. And these are elite paratroopers, the Rangers. And he's, uh, Powell is the commanding officer. And so the, the soldiers are lined up, ready to um, jump out of the plane into the drop zone on a training exercise. And he's going down the line, checking, checking these, the static lines and the jump ropes. And he comes to the sergeant and he says, have you checked your gear? And he says, yes, sir. Has the man in front of you and the man behind you checked your gear? Yes, sir. Then why is it that your static line is not attached to you, the parachute? If you jump out of this plane, soldier, you're a dead man. And the soldier's face was just pale with shock. These are trained rangers. The person in front of them, the person behind them, they're trained to do this. How could they miss something so basic? Because you just get so accustomed to doing things. There's a false sense of security. And the question for us is, you know, what are we trusting in? Are we trusting in things that won't give you eternal life? Are you like this sergeant about to jump out of a plane without his parachute properly attached? So there's a great danger in seeing Jesus as a good teacher only because it allows you to ignore his claims to be God. And there's a great danger in being a good person because you trust in your good works, which cannot save you. You have a false sense of security. Lastly, there's a great danger in being rich. In verse 23, Jesus tells his disciples how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples, they're, they're amazed at what Jesus has to say at his words. And so Jesus repeats himself. But this time he doesn't include the rich. But says, children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. And to illustrate how hard it is, he gives the example of a camel which was the largest animal of that region. And then uh, what was the squeezing in to what was the smallest hole that they would have known? In the eye of a needle. And it says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples are even more amazed. If those who had lived a good life like this rich man 
those who have been blessed by God uh, for their righteous life, if someone like that couldn't get eternal life, what chance did the disciples, poor fishermen, tax collectors who lived a simple life, what chance would they have in inheriting eternal life? And so we see them ask each other in verse 26, who then can be saved? And Jesus makes it clear. This, it's impossible. It is impossible with man. If it's through your own efforts, if it's something that we, we, have, to, we have to do, then there is no chance of being saved. But not with God. All things are possible with God. They're not able to save themselves, but God is able to save them. But the question is, if it's impossible for anyone to be saved without God, why is it so much harder for the rich to be saved? What is the great danger of being rich? Well, the great danger of being rich is that you have a greater ability and temptation to rely on money and your possessions rather than on God. And we must not underestimate the pull and the, and the strength and the influence that wealth can have on our lives. This, this rich man is an example in point. He was so earnest. He dedicated his life to following the commandments. He was more earnest in, in seeking eternal life. He probably lived a better life than all of us here. Yet he was trapped by his wealth. He was not willing to give up his wealth for eternal life. And most of us uh, deceive ourselves into thinking that we're not rich, we're not that rich, or that we're not attached to wealth. But try giving up 10% of your wealth, let alone 20% or 30%. See how, see how easy that is. And then you'll see the temptation, the pull of wealth. Does that mean that Jesus is commanding all rich people that they must sell everything and give it to the poor? Well, no, because this command is specific to this rich man. Jesus wanted to expose his heart and show that his riches were more important than eternal life. Because we see um, in the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was a rich man, but Jesus doesn't command Zacchaeus to give up all his wealth. No, but we see Zacchaeus meets Jesus and he voluntarily says, Jesus, now I will give away half of my wealth to the poor and pay back all that I, four times that I've defrauded. Jesus doesn't say, no, no, Zacchaeus, that's not enough. You've got to sell all to be saved. No, Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. And there are examples of rich people in the book of Acts who open up their homes for church and who use their wealth to help Paul and his mission and the spread of the gospel. It is not sinful to be rich, but the Bible repeatedly warns us it is dangerous. It is like dynamite because, we're tr because of the temptation to trust in those riches and not in God. And if you're rich, you have a great responsibility to be generous with your wealth, to use your wealth, not for yourself, not to build up your life, but for Jesus and for the kingdom. Now, Jesus has made it clear that it's impossible for anyone to be saved through their good works by obeying Jesus' commands, God's commands. You can't contribute a single thing to your salvation. Then why do the disciples leave everything to follow Jesus? Why couldn't the disciples just follow Jesus part-time and give only part of their wealth? Why does Jesus command 
As we saw last week in Mark chapter 8, verse 34 and 35, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life uh, will lose it, but whoever loses his life for the sake of the gospel will save it. It sounds to me like maybe that if you deny yourself, if you take up your cross, if you do those things, then you will be saved. But no, that's not the case. And we have to understand the difference between salvation and discipleship. They are connected, but they are not the same. You are saved when by faith you put your trust in Jesus, that his death saves you from the consequences of sin and that you are brought into a right relationship with Jesus. It's not something that you can earn. It's a free gift from God. You are either saved or you're not. There's no levels. There's no standards of salvation. You're saved or you're not. But you are a disciple if you deny yourself, take up your cross, and you follow Jesus. And unlike salvation, your obedience to Jesus' call can vary. You can be a faithful disciple or you can be an unfaithful disciple. But just because you're an unfaithful disciple, that you're living mostly for yourself, that you're disobedient to Jesus, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. Because salvation does not depend on your obedience to Jesus, but your faith in Jesus. And it's possible to be a disciple without being saved. We see that with Judas. Judas left everything, followed Jesus for three years, but ultimately he did not put his faith in Jesus. He was not saved. Or we can come to church um, read our Bibles. We can even give away all of our wealth. We can serve God uh, as a missionary. Yet if we're doing these things to please God, rather than putting our, rather than we have our faith and trust in Jesus, then we're a disciple, but we're not saved. Or for some of you, you, you you're coming to church. You're not sure about Jesus yet. You, know, you want to learn more about Jesus and you want to follow what he says, but you're not at the point where you're willing to put your trust and your faith in Jesus. Well, you're a disciple, but you're not yet saved. But the expectation of the Bible is that if you're being given the gift of salvation, if you've been given eternal life, not because you deserved it, but because of Jesus' sacrifice, then the expectation is that you will respond, you will respond and in faith, Obey Jesus' call to be a disciple. Not out of, uh, not so that you can earn your salvation, but out of thankfulness and love for Jesus. And how seriously you take up that call, how committed you are to being a disciple, will not only impact your life, but will impact the life of others. And whether they have an opportunity to hear this saving message. Ian Powell, uh, who spoke last year at our uh, big weekend inn, he used to uh, talk at Katoomba, at at the big Christian conferences, Uh, and in 1990, um, again showing my age, he gave a a talk there where he tells this story. A missionary, he's been captured by some freedom fighters, some guerrillas, they're Marxists, and he's um, in the jungle with them for three weeks. And during this time, while he's with this group of freedom fighters, you know, they talk about Marxism and he's been talking about Jesus and going back and forth. 
And after three weeks, um, he's, he's finally about to be released. And the Marxist leader, he, he, he says something very interesting to uh, this missionary. You know, this guy's gone out to another country to share about Jesus. And he says, I can see that your message about Jesus is more powerful than ours. But we will win. Because Jesus means a lot to you. But the revolution means everything to us. And Ian says, and the question I keep asking myself is this. Is Jesus my most important hobby or is it a matter of life and death? That the one who died for me is the one I can't wait to share with others. And I'm anxious for others and I'm praying, God, please give me a chance to share. Please may it come up with my family. Is that the first thing? Does Jesus mean a lot to us or is he everything? Jesus does not water down the cost of being a disciple here. It is costly. It may mean leaving homes, it may mean leaving family, it may mean leaving jobs, wealth, and persecution is guaranteed if you're a faithful disciple. However, if you, for those who bear the cost, there's a promise of great reward, hundreds of times more than what we give up. We see that in verse 29. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and for the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children and fields, along with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. The promise of reward is not just in the life to come in heaven, but the promise is in this present age. And when we went to Thailand as missionaries, we experienced the, uh, this promise come true. We left our home in, in Australia. We left our brothers, our father and our mother. And we went to Thailand. And, we, and during that time, we met lots of people in Thailand. Uh, there was support. We met supporters. We got to know supporters. Different missionaries from all over the world. And now we have hundreds more brothers and sisters in Christ and we can go to Brazil, Egypt, we can go to uh, South America, Japan. We can go to all these places in the world and there will be a home open for us through our brothers and sisters. And in January, we went on a holiday uh, to Avoca. And, we, and there was a lady who owns a, a, a holiday house in Terrigal. And she offers it to OMF missionaries for free just to pay the... Uh, cleaning costs. It's a home. And this is the promise that, we, that we've seen. But the promise is not just for this life, is it? I long for uh, the age to come when I'll have eternal life with Jesus. Dear friends, heed the warnings of Jesus today. Don't ignore them. Don't see Jesus just as a good teacher. Don't trust in your good works. Don't get trapped by your riches. Put your faith and your trust in Jesus and be saved. Follow Jesus and live as a committed and faithful disciple of Christ. Bear the cost and take up Jesus' great promise of reward. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the warnings that you have given us today. And I just pray that you'll help us not to be foolish and to 
ignore the warnings. Lord, help us to know clearly whether we are saved or not. Help us not trust in a false sense of security. Thank you that salvation is free and uh, you know, it's available for anyone if we put our faith and trust in you. And I pray that you will help us, if we are saved, to take up uh, the call of discipleship seriously. And help us not to be asleep in the light. Help, help us to not be content that we are saved, but help us to do everything that we can to help others uh, to hear your saving message uh, and to join us in eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing together. Jesus.